everyone and welcome to episode 23 of the History Hotline. I am your host Deanna Lincook and I am honoured to have a guest with me here today. I am honestly so happy, so thankful and so blessed to be friends with someone as wonderful as this person. I have been friends with her for what, seven years now. Um, she's like you know that person where you like read a really good book and you need to discuss it with them, but you need them to have read the book. It will be this person. She will have read that book. I'm telling you. Um, so I'm introducing to you all um, a graduate in English literature from the University of Birmingham and my great friend, Arisha Blissett French. Woo! <laughs> I feel like I wish. <laughs> hello, hello, hello. <laughs> Welcome I to love- the History Hotline. <laughs> um, so primarily, you know, Arisha's degree is obviously what qualifies her to, to be speaking on such wonderful topics and generally like the depth and breadth of her reading but also her wonderful page and space um, that she's kind of created on Instagram called the Reader's Collection um, which is a space to kind of using her words to heal through reading um, it's just a great space it has loads of like book recommendations and collections of books that you could read together on certain themes or topics or different feelings or moods you might be having she also makes an amazing reel and if you know me I love my reels if you follow us on Instagram <laughs> but Arisha's reels put mine to shame I learned from her um, so welcome in Arisha to the stage welcome Arisha we're going to be talking about- I didn't even say what we're going to be talking about today I'm just so gassed <laughs> The theme of today, as you know, the title, we're looking at African-American literature, literature more generally, because it is still Black History Month in America, and you know I wanted to talk about this stuff. Um, I wanted to talk about America a little bit more and how it kind of intersects with Britain. We might not speak about Britain so much today, but that's okay, because, you know, it's America's time to shine. We'll give them February. So, Arisha, welcome. Thank you Hello. For, thank you for coming. <laughs> I feel like we should start by you telling us about the Reader's Collection and why you started it and what it, what's it, what it is all about. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, first of all, you're making me blush. So thank oh. you just for gassing me up a little bit too much. <laughs> Anytime. I love it. I love it. <laughs> um, so the Reader's Collection, I think in terms of my love for literature, that starts from the womb um, because my mom like just grew us up with the, with the depth and breadth of literature, you know. She was reading it from, from when we were young. And so that's what I grew that. up with, that culture of loving books. And so um, in terms of just my love for literature, that's just been a thing I've, I've always had. But in terms of the transformative element of literature, that really began, honestly, when I really think about it, I, it began when I started reading the Bible. Wow. Because that was, that was the first book that I'd ever n- not read yeah. like in depth okay like all the other books I, I've I've read I could tell you about it could give you a summary could give you an analysis but yeah. the bible was the only one that I was like I have all these opinions but they're not based on knowledge at all wow. and so when I started reading the bible I literally approached it like I would any other book because I, I, I we don't you don't read the bible it. like that do you it's not it's you take a verse you take a chapter you take a story to get a message out of right. context sometimes but no you're on something there Go on, exactly. let me not call you, sorry. <laughs> and so when I began reading the Bible, I was like, you know what, God, I don't know what I'm doing, so I'm just going to do what I've always done. And so in literature, you, you know, you're not just looking at the story you see on the page, you're looking at the story of the author, the context, the yes. context in which it was written, <laughs> the context of the, uh, rep, you know, 
reputation and reception that it had and all this kind of stuff you know the psychological context the mm-hmm. feminist you know yes. feminist analysis all these kinds of things and so literally that's how I approached the bible and it was only until then that I really started to experience healing in my life wow. and so from that point that was like the springboard to okay. really see how other books could transform my thinking and transform the way, you know, I viewed things, whether it was, yeah. you know, personal experiences or just experiences of people around me, yeah. of just different things. And because of my depth and, you know, breadth of knowledge, uh, having gone to uni and read like thousands of books, it felt like, yeah. I was like, <laughs> you know what, like, I want to make this accessible to other people. Like, I don't want to be the only one experiencing like, <laughs> like this party of reading, you know what wow. I mean? So... <laughs> Having, having done English literature at uni, I'd always get those questions like, oh, like, how did you do it? Like, oh, I've never finished a book in years. And like, every time my heart would stop, because I'd be like, eh, how, <laughs> like, how could you do that? You know what I mean? Yeah. Really tearing my heart apart here. So I, the Reader's Collection came about by me experiencing the Bible and it's, you know, transformative, incredible healing power. But, but also, you know, with going to uni and just having a range of books that I feel like, this would help someone whether it's fiction non-fiction Mm -hmm. and so the reader's collection I just wanted to make it you know relatable because not everyone wants to read a book because they want to be smart sometimes people want to read a book because they're struggling with their mental health you know some people want to read a book because they're like I want my voice to be heard and I don't know how to access that or some people just want to read because they're like I haven't read in years and I need to have something to read to make myself feel good yeah you know so it, it was all those kind of things that I wanted to kind of bring together. And so that's kind of how the Reader's Collection was birthed because I want it to be the Reader's Collection, not my mm. collection, yeah. but I belonging to the people, if that I makes sense. That's great. No, it makes perfect sense, definitely. And, you know, you can check out Arisha's page, as I said, at the Reader's Collection on Instagram, um, because I think that's exactly what, that's exactly what I feel when I'm on that page and I see mm. a post from you where we're thinking about, you know, certain theme or trying to overcome a trauma or even overcoming a prejudice or a view you Mm -hmm. might have of a certain group of people or a situation historically or otherwise um yeah yeah, and I definitely I needed you on this podcast because that page (laughs) is great and if you're listening right now and you haven't already gone to look at it like what are you waiting for you can do both you can listen and 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 scroll trust me (laughs) right so just as we ease ourselves in um to literature today and thinking about african-american literature um and the reason why arisha is kind of the perfect person is because well i'm going to tell you her dissertation title we're going to get into it later but it was fantastic um it was wanted black outlaw women in 20th and 21st century african-american literature and music and we might have to get her back on to talk about the music because well we can talk about it today but maybe not in the depth of the literature because it's a literature episode Yeah. <laughs> um, but I thought just to before we launch into that um, and the kind of meat that that's going to give us, you know, let's do a little <laughs> quick fire round of your favourite books, your favourite authors, least maybe historical time periods, just to see the kind of reader you are, because one thing about reading and when you say you do English lit at uni I think a lot mm-hmm. of people always assume that you've read all the classics the Dickens, the Austin, right. Fontes, Shakespeare, Wordsworth, Milton and it's just not the right. case. Like, I ran away from those modules like they were on fire I was <laughs> gone I went for everything 
that opposed that but <laughs> so yeah so i kind of want to get let the audience know what kind of reader you are the kind of books you read mm-hmm. the kind of books you don't read um because as we know all readers are different and there there is literally a book out there for everyone and if you don't get mm-hmm. that by the end of the podcast we failed so i don't want to <laughs> literally fail. i don't fail things so <laughs> let's go quick fire round arisha no explanation okay. just answers and okay, i'm not okay. gonna answer because it's not about me okay. so <laughs> who is your favorite author Maya Angelou. What is your favourite book? Uh, William Golding's Lord of the Flies. Okay. Least favourite book? Anything by Jane Austen. I love that. What is your favourite literary time period? 20th century. Who's your favourite character in a book? You really caught me with that one. You really, really got me with that one. Um, So, Boxer in Animal Farm. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) If you could meet any author, dead or alive, who would you meet? Maya Angelou. Love that. And what is a book you've been meaning to read, but you haven't got around to it? The Colour Purple. Oh, yeah. Alice Walker. Love that. Mm-hmm. Um, your favourite historical time period to learn about? I would say 1970s. 1970s, yeah. Okay, I like that. Um, and your favourite historical figure, person, politician, you know, freedom fighter, activist in history? anyone there's actually so many it's like hard on. okay go Maya for Angelou. yeah you can you can't have Maya anymore now I've had okay, enough okay. I'm joking. okay okay Take someone in african-american <laughs> history just because that's the okay of the day. cool african-american history angela davis oh yeah 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 definitely i'm sensing a theme <laughs> sensing a black feminist theme here hmm, i like yeah. that <laughs> um okay and a historical time period that you would like to know more about? What popped into my head was like 1920s to 1940s. Yeah. I don't know why. Like I know okay. a bit, but yeah. More. What okay. are you reading currently? Wow, that's a good question. So I'm reading, um, I literally started it like earlier this week and it's called Thoughts and Feelings. Okay. Um, and it's basically a book all about, um, it's, it's branded as a self-help book, yeah. um, but it's a book about mental health. Okay. And in there is like practical kind of ways that both therapists and people can use. Love that. Um, so kind of articulate the fact that this is not just a book for quote unquote ordinary people, but it's mm. a book that therapists can use on themselves. Therapists can use on their clients. So it's, it's like the people's book for mental wow. health. Okay. If you know what I mean? I like so that. I feel like you're, <laughs> range of reading is wide <laughs> like you've literally <laughs> gone from the bible to like some hard-hitting <laughs> feminist texts to animal farm and then like yeah. self-help books about like psychology and therapy and mm-hmm. helping people i love that yeah. you know why why narrow yourself in and i feel like yeah. this is why the readers collection is just so great because you're not just getting one type of book if i was to recommend books all mm-hmm. you're going to get is history Um, and the occasional (laughs) historical fiction because that's all I read I I love that you've got that variety variety is Mm. the spice of life so since we're talking about African-American literature I wanted us to firstly think about um kind of representations of blackness and I know that sounds Mm -hmm. like a lot and to all of you in the audience uh blackness not necessarily meaning you know anything specific i'm i'm genuinely and deliberately using that term very vaguely um we've got we had an episode um about race being a social construct um might be good to listen back to that um because black is a term that we have slapped onto people in different societies at different times 
um, and it's always kind of changing the parameters of blackness who can be black who identifies as black mm. who doesn't and what that means in any specific society so take that as vaguely as you want um, Arisha and audience mm. um, but yeah I'm thinking about representations of blackness in African-American literature whether that be positive or negative kind of what jumps out at you what are you what are you thinking about text wise well I think one of the first ones is um a non-fiction text and I'll explain why in a sec um yeah. and it's called Sisters of the Yam Black Women and Self-Recovery and it's by Bell mm-hmm. Hooks and she's yeah. just one of my favorite academics authors slash yeah. whatever of all time so the reason why that stands out so much um as a portrayal of blackness is because there's you know in whether it's media films or even literature sometimes um on social media as well might i add um a stereotype of black women being strong you know the strong oh, black woman the strong black woman and so yeah and so you know there's no wonder that there's such a stigma in you know mental health for black women still mm. and so i think just by this book existing the fact that there is a because basically what it's about is just recovering from the trauma of racism in different yeah. contexts just different trauma that black women go through specifically yeah and so the reason why i think this stands out as a portrayal of blackness is that it shows that you know there's specific things that black women go through yeah. and we do need healing that we're yeah. not strong all the time and we don't have to be strong all the time Absolutely. and that's not that's not a you know a realistic or a fair expectation to place Absolutely. and so i think to someone, you know, who's a black woman, they might look at it and think, oh, okay, someone mm. gets it, yeah. you know? But then someone who's seen. not black, exactly, I feel seen, right? Yeah. But then it, to someone who's either not black or not a black woman, they might look at it and go, oh, wow, there's actually recovering that a black woman actually needs. You know yeah. what I mean? So Absolutely. I think that's a, yeah, you know? And so I think it's a positive portrayal of blackness because it's a realistic one. You know, it, it, I like that. Yeah. yeah so that's, it, that's we're not asking thought. to be painted as perfect because we're not right I think that's that's definitely yeah a great point it's a realistic mm-hmm. representation i, I mm-hmm. i'm in complete agreement with you realistic is fair and uh, yeah. what more can you want with that and um, especially when exactly. it's you know challenging stereotypes that are actually really damaging to black women um, yeah, and to black 100%. like families and black communities because if yeah. women are expected to be um this pillar of strength mm-hmm. in all times, situations, circumstances, you know, mm-hmm. when they're not, what does that mean for the rest of the community, for the family, for the home? What does that mean for society? Um, right. Yeah. No, I, I love that. Um, should we go on to maybe a more negative portrayal of quote unquote blackness? Let's it's go, let's go. Fiction or non-fiction? <laughs> Either way, I feel like I'm like quizzing you, like, come on, tell me. Hello. All the literature. <laughs> Give it to me. <laughs> I love it. We'll go with positive first in fiction. Okay. Um, so positive in fiction, I definitely say Ralph Ellison, um, The Black Ball, yes. short story. Um, and it explores so much um, yep. and so many different things. But one thing that just stood out to me was um, the relationship between the father and, and his son. Um, Ooh, I, yeah. It's, he's very, uh, I don't want to like reveal too much, but just in the, in the, you know, conversation, the father's very honest with his son about the reality of racism, but also about the reality of, you know, and I guess he, what he does is give, gives his son permission to just be, you know what I mean? To not, to not adhere to a certain, you know, identity or a certain way. I mean, it will make sense, you know, once you read the book. Um, 
But his son is very young as well. So it just shows that positive portrayal of black fatherhood, which is something yeah. that you don't, which I think you don't see enough of. I agree. Um, in, in any space. And so I would definitely say that for positive. For negative, I would say Robinson Crusoe. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you yeah, open you a can. See, you see, a kettle you see. Of, is it a kettle of, no, you've opened a can of worms. Kettle of worms. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I was quite quiet with Ralph Ellison because it's one of them books that, if you had asked me what's that one book you really want to read but haven't mm-hmm. had a chance to yet, that is my book, Ralph Ellison's, like anything Ralph Ellison, and I mm-hmm. need to read more James Baldwin. They're my two yes. books I just need to get into. I love him. James, everything I've read of James Baldwin, I have been obsessed with, like read yep. multiple times, but it's just one of them where I need to go and do some more book purchasing, but also mm-hmm. have a long yes. list of books that I haven't actually read, so I can't actually purchase more books. <laughs> Robinson Crusoe. <laughs> where do we begin? Well, um, let's start with the fact that, you know, the book isn't explicit in its, you know, usage of blackness or mm-hmm. black person, etc., etc. But the way um, otherhood is portrayed, it's very mm. savage, very yeah. barbaric, very needs a white saviour, needs some kind of fixing. So yeah. the way blackness is portrayed in that is, is, is a pretty uncomfortable. Um, okay, I like that word. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think the othering idea as, mm-hmm. you know, as a concept, as something that we, I, when I first in, I think it was first year looking at like theory mm-hmm. and we were looking at um, Joseph Conrad, Heart of Darkness, which oh, I guess we'll come and we'll have to come on to soon. Um, but yeah, <laughs> we were looking at othering and I had never heard of the term othering or to be othered. Um, mm-hmm. And I've had heard it in a feminist context as well, but it's this idea that, you know, not being what's quote unquote normal. Um, and in this case, it tends to be whiteness being the norm and anything other being othered, i.e. blackness. It's why mm-hmm. black and Asian and anyone non-white was called black in the 70s. Political blackness being a thing is a form of othering. So, yeah, I definitely think that's an important point. And contrasting that to Bell Hooks, who is kind of challenging a stereotype that is kind of fixed with black women um and then you've got ralph ellison that is also challenging the stereotype with black men and fatherhood yeah. um, and how men deal with kind of racism in that context then you yeah. have a text like uh robinson caruso that obviously is written at a completely different time but doesn't yeah. challenge anything it upholds racial tropes and stereotypes and and others essentially yeah literally i think what it does do is reflects the uh, mentalities and anxieties of the time in which it was written. And Absolutely. obviously that's, that's helpful in terms of a literary analysis of perspective, but it doesn't make it any less uncomfortable because Definitely. You, you read it. And even though it's, it's, like I said, it's not overt in its mm. yeah. racist tropes, it's overt enough for you to be like, oh, this is a yeah. bit, yeah, it's quite, it's quite. And same with Heart of Darkness as well. Mm. It's that, well, that's more overt yeah yeah let me just start there (laughs) i know i kind of want to talk about heart of darkness but also i really i don't want to do it just yet (laughs) like it's a conversation that needs to be had and if you've read the book you'll know exactly why if you haven't you'll find out in a few minutes or maybe we won't won't get there you know you listed obviously we're talking about african-american literature and i think that's something that i think british schools cover that quite well actually no let me not lie (laughs) not african-american literature literature american literature that panders or touches on or slightly nudges the issue of race without Mm -hmm. necessarily explicitly analyzing it 
and using that to open up conversations about race in schools as opposed to using say texts by black british authors or british texts that think mm-hmm. about blackness in negative or positive ways um you know we we i think everyone listening here if you've gone through the british education system you've read either to kill a mockingbird or of mice and men yeah. um and maybe you've even read like i don't know huckleberry finn and tom sawyer as well um so yeah maybe i don't know do you want to speak about maybe why why that is why we have to go through these t- why are they our introduction to like i don't think i had a conversation in the classroom about race until yeah. i read to kill a mockingbird and then we were kind of talking about america in the south and racism and i was like but but here yeah yeah um it's 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 interesting because i think I benefited from having, you know, those talks at home. My mum's very big on, Absolutely. you know, knowing your history. So yep. going to school, it was like, it was nothing new for me. Yeah. However, the fact that these kind of discussions were only introductory mm-hmm. when you would go to, you know, because the, these cities in the UK, you know, most of them like London, Birmingham, etc. Yeah. They are multicultural. Yeah. You know, and so it isn't um it isn't nice just having those introductory talks about racism and, and it not be, you know, including your region, which yeah. you know you've experienced some form of either racism or microaggressions or something that you're like, okay, yeah. Is someone gonna give a voice to this, you know? So I I, I understand the kind of discomfort that comes with the oh why is it just america yeah. because there's that you know usual thing oh when we are not as bad as america mm. oh the racism over there is different you know we Love didn't that. experience it we didn't you know yeah uh, which historically as you know as the you know expert historian oh, is thank you. literally <laughs> yes i gotta gas you up you gas me up. i gotta gas you up um so you know that's not true. There was yeah. heavy racism in the UK and some of it was similar to America and some of it was different and had different mm. nuances and stuff. And so that's something that I only, um, that obviously I was taught at home, but was also been able to study in depth when I got to university. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think universities is too late. I think it does need to start earlier um, because, you, you know, you want to drill into the minds of children, into the minds of teenagers of the realities of the world and with yeah. the hope to change it Definitely. you know I agree. um and so the reasons why be- behind you know those kind of things i just i couldn't even tell you all i could say was that it's 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 disappointing i feel myself going on to like a whole run <laughs> i think it i think it's just disappointing because of the there's such nuances in mm. in history yeah. in the uk in black british history in the uk and the fact that you know if we go to you know different you know british people it doesn't have to be black, but different British people um, name a black British historical figure. Yeah. You know, or name name uh, a black figure. They would mm. most likely talk about someone who's African-American, you know? Definitely. And so I think um, we've done, in the, in, the, in the British education system, there's a big injustice, you yeah. know, um, with that. Yeah, I think it's just a disappointment if, if I was to comment on that. I agree. Yeah. I couldn't have put it better myself, to be honest. And... <laughs> As I mean, if you've listened to any of the other episodes in this podcast, you'll know that it's something I comment on a lot, but more obviously in the context of history, just because I think the way history is taught in this country is absolutely appalling. Um, I think the curriculum needs drastic yeah. reform. 
Um, yeah. And I'm happy that there are people out there that are doing that work and kind of mm -hmm. adding to this. And I always hope this podcast kind of by people listening and understanding and knowing the different histories that have been left out and how damaging that is, they will also then kind of pick up that torch to potentially change up for the future or to teach their kids. I think, I think as well, like what you mentioned about, um, we, we're living in multicultural cities and obviously, you know, you said London, Birmingham and other big cities, Manchester, Liverpool, you know, mm -hmm. they're diverse populations. And yeah, I don't see how anyone can at this point justify there not being a need for a diverse curriculum that matches these populations. I agree. I don't understand. Well, I do understand the pushback, but you know, the British historically as an empire colonized a majority of the world. And now that yeah. majority of the world is living in this country through no fault of their own. But when you decimate people's home countries and you force them um, to be economically mm -hmm. reliant on you, this is yeah. exactly what happens. And now they don't want to deal with the consequences of that. And it's extremely yeah. problematic to me. Um, mm -hmm. But that is just a, that's a whole <laughs> talk for the day. I feel like we've already strayed too far <laughs> away from the book. It is. It is. It definitely is. Um, but I think while we're here speaking about the British Empire, it's the perfect time for Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness. Honestly, we go on this book. <laughs> context for anyone that hasn't read it. Um, I wouldn't even go and say go and read it. Don't do that. Don't waste nope. your time. <laughs> Don't hurt yourself. <laughs> it's a book that is not to be read. It's to be endured. Um, but yeah. some people might like it because if you're into that kind of thing where black people are depicted as savages, uncivilized and in need of a white savior, then go ahead. That's for you. Right. Um, but essentially, Joseph Conrad has written this book in, I think, the late 1800s, about 1899. I think it's published around 1900, 1901. Um, and it's basically talking about um, the area that was then slash now called Congo. Um, as the heart of darkness listen to the word darkness he's mm. referring to africa as being dark <laughs> uh. that alone <laughs> you can write an essay <laughs> about the title um yep. but arisha i feel like you know as the english expert do you want to just go into how negative the negative portrayals of blackness black people are i remember we're now thinking about this in a british context being yeah. the british at this point are literally carving up africa they have literally they've drawn a map and now they are drawing lines on that map to divide up countries where people with different religions cultures ethnicities all live and now have to to either mix to be split to be partitioned separated and it's just a mess because yeah it's just a mess so arisha <laughs> before i just you know Go on a rant about the British Empire in Africa. Yeah. Um, Just tell us, yeah, tell us about that representation, that portrayal. To give it context in terms of the time in which it was written, um, history up until that point was written by white historians, any kind of history, including what they would call black history. And so yeah. it was no surprise that white historians were fascinated with the concept and i deliberately use that word concept of africa yeah africa as a whole not as a continent rich full of cultures and diversities but no no, no as a as a whole thing for no better word a clump of, mm. of people absolutely um and so the history that was written about black people was very reductive very negative um very uh they would use like reductive words like exotic and 
uncivilized yeah. and yeah. all these kinds of words savage. and so savage and so that's what's reflected those are the kinds of you know um phrases you you will read in in heart of darkness it's a book that has like an observatory vibe to it yeah um and calls africa again the whole of africa basically not not <laughs> Not, you know, as I said before, a diverse continent, um, you know, the dark continent and all this kind of stuff. It, honestly, I can't even, it's just so hard to talk about because it's just so horrible. Like, it's, like, it's so horrible to read. Yeah, it's hard to, I feel like if you can get how hard it is to talk about, it's like even harder to read. And I remember yeah. going into that seminar, I was in first year and I, I really did try and make a good impression in first year, I did all my reading on time you know I had things to say in <laughs> seminars but I got to that seminar and I was just kind of praying that I wasn't the only one that didn't read the whole thing because I physically couldn't get through it and it wasn't even a thing of like I ran out of time like I would sit with that book and I just couldn't read it like it, it just every kind of word every phrase every yeah. sentence would just shock you and even my seminar leader he'd said at the time that he in rereading it for the preparation for that seminar he hadn't reread it properly he he said he couldn't um it's just one of those books i feel like i'm making people want to read it but try and find a pdf for free don't pay for it no <laughs> don't, it. don't fund that don't fund that at all like <laughs> i think what i found you know equally as disturbing as the text itself is that we're reading it from a, a place of retrospect and from a mm. place of analysis and look how terrible this idea yeah. ideology is but at that time in which it was written it was an accepted piece of text mm. it was something that was that was the that's usual like it's it, like it's a reflect it's a reflection of its time and so that's what I find disturbing you know yeah. so well it was texts like that that were kind of giving the okay to you know all those people that were literally at that time carving off Africa as a continent yeah. and colonizing it in in a variety of forms yeah i think we're gonna leave joseph conrad on that text there <laughs> i don't want to think about him anymore this is a bit of a strange question um and i'm Ooh. thinking of it because i kind of want to think about british literature um, not necessarily black british but british literature and just thinking kind of following on from the last episode for anyone that listened about ira aldridge who was the first shakespearean actor the first black shakespearean actor to perform in europe um, he was obviously casted as Othello uh, for obvious reasons, Othello being a Moor um, who would have been from the region of North Africa, which by today's standards, they probably wouldn't be defined as black. But those days, as I said, anyone that wasn't white is othered, othered as black. Um, mm -hmm. And so, yeah, Ira Aldridge plays these roles, but then he also started stepping into other roles, like he plays Aaron in Titus Andronicus, who would have been white. He plays Shylock, the Jew in Merchant of Venice. Um, and he goes on to kind of take these roles. Um, listen to that episode if you want to know more about that. It's not what we're going to speak about. But thinking about Shakespeare, I think we studied Shakespeare every single year of secondary school. I studied it every year of uni. <laughs> it was always compulsory. Um, I think in the third year, actually, I picked it because at that point I thought, I know so much Shakespeare, I could probably do well in this. So let me just pick it. We're here now. Um, maybe to think about blackness in, in Shakespeare. I didn't put this on the, the list, by the way, of our prep prep notes um for the audience so i'm really putting Arisha on the spot um and okay. i have a few points to add as well but like i don't know just because it's such a kind of a text that we all have to read i just wondered if you had any kind of comments about that yeah no i i do i do i can i can talk for england so this is great for me um so shakespeare in general i love shakespeare um i think i absolutely love shakespeare the sonnets the plays 
get me there, like all of it. Um, I, I see why people find it boring and all that kind of stuff, but I just think the language is so beautiful and just the depth um, of the different plays that I've been able to study and stuff. I just think it's great. Um, in terms of Othello, um, I wouldn't say that I'm like uncomfortable with the way blackness is portrayed. And the reason why I say that is because Othello, just as so many other characters in the Shakespearean plays, is complex. So if, if I appreciate anything about Othello and Othello's character is the complexity of his character, yeah. you know? Um, because, for example, Macbeth. All of, them, all of them characters have something wrong with them. Like, ain't no right character in Macbeth, you know? Nope. <laughs> and, and, it, and it's a complete tragedy, you know? Yeah. And it's reflected. And, and I think Othello's the same. I think that there is a fascination with the fact that there's a Black character in, in the Shakespearean play. And I don't mm-hmm. feel like there should be. It's, everyone's just so fascinated. And I'm like, honestly, if you just read Shakespeare, it's not that deep. Like, this is a usual thing. Yeah. So the fact that there happens to be quote-unquote a black character in Shakespeare Mm -hmm. and you rarely see that I'm just like it's really not that deep because of the quality for me anyway the quality of the of his writing his literature I think it's just reflected in Othello as well and so for me I don't get the hype in that way I used to but then as you as you just continue to read Shakespeare you're like oh okay I get it now he's gonna die she's gonna die uh, Mm -hmm. everyone's gonna die so I don't expect anything different so wow there you go whistle stop tour of Shakespeare and blackness (laughs) honestly I I completely agree um especially like you know the amount of Shakespeare I've read um and I say read um so yeah absolutely I think it's about time that we swing back across the pond to the United States um and we think about your dissertation because honestly um the fact you wrote this dissertation and I remember you were like obviously doing your research in third year and I was Mm -hmm. doing similar essays not for my dissertation because I did a history dissertation but I was kind of thinking about black feminism and womanism Mm -hmm. and Africana feminism just different kinds of feminism I had a module that literally looked at different kinds of feminism every week it was great we went like countries religions cultures um one of the best modules i've ever done um but arisha's dissertation is called wanted black outlaw women in 20th and 21st century african-american literature and music and we'll primarily focus on the literature but you know talk about the music if you so wish um but yeah please can you just tell us about that um you're thinking about black outlaw women you know what what does that mean and then i guess some of the texts maybe that you we're able to bring in and think about um and i guess because we're thinking about blackness in in literature how does it all tie in you know the floor is yours <laughs> oh this is beautiful so where does it all begin well it begins with tony morrison's sula her book right and it was one of the books that was on one of my modules yeah um, and the module was about African-American literature. And so this was just like my zone. I was like, yes, finally, my element, right? <laughs> and so, <laughs> yeah, I remember reading this and, and I always I always love to read the forward to just see what they have to say before I yeah. start. And she literally says um, in her forward, just towards the end, she says, outlaw women are fascinating. And then she goes on to say, not always for their behavior, but because historically women are seen as naturally disruptive and their status is an illegal one from birth if it is not under the rule of men. And yeah. so, you know, in her forward, she talks about kind of just her 
her standpoint for writing the book and just the context of the time, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But when I, but when I read that part for me, that, w- that seemed a little bit displaced from the rest of what she was saying. And that's okay. the reason why it stuck out to me. Yeah. Um, because I just fixated on the outlaw women, outlaw women, outlaw yeah. women. And so from there I was like, this is something I want to explore because obviously it's a forward. So she doesn't go into much detail. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, I need, I need to explore this because I, I wanted to really define and theorize what a black outlaw woman is slash was. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to explore what does it mean to be a black outlaw woman? Like what does it actually mean in society, in a social context, economic yeah. context, a literary context, um, I brought in music as well, so in, in a music context and stuff. Mm. And so I, I really wanted to explore like the nuances and what it means to be an outlaw woman. Because when yeah. you think of the word outlaw, you do think of like the wild, wild west. Yeah. The posters wanted away everywhere. Someone, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, run away someone, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so I really wanted to dig deep and to explore the negative kind of ideas attached to an outlaw and how I could spin it and make it positive not because I just wanted to make it positive but to really shed light on how it's positive if that makes sense and so I deliberately picked women who went against the grain whatever grain whatever grain that was you know so the reason why um so on the literary side I chose um Octavia Butler yeah why because she's a, a woman writing sci-fi like science fiction like that's just alone forget that she's back honestly like it's just so exciting for me because I'm like you are a woman writing in a male-dominated industry Mm. like male-dominated genre and you're just there and you're slaying it yeah absolutely slaying it Um, and then as a black woman on top of that and the content of their stories it's not just the typical what you would express like oh yeah female protagonist Mm. she's great she's liberated no like the (laughs) characters like that butler um created in her stories are deep are complex some of them are not even like fully human so she adds even another Mm. depth to it another layer you know and and obviously there can be like sensitivity towards blackness and making them other but like like oh my gosh they're they're not human therefore it's racist and it's like actually that's not always the case and so Butler even challenges that by making her female protagonist like a vampire for example you know what I mean so yeah she she really goes against the grain not just you know as as you know within her characters who do Mm. go against the grain in in whatever societies as well as herself yeah literally so I I was like I have to explore this you know so that was really exciting for me and then Maya Angelou like how could I leave this woman out of my writing like I love her to bits like honestly and so um what I focused on though um was her poetry Okay. You know, her poetry about women and about black women in particular. And um, obviously one that I, I had to focus on was I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings. Yeah. Um, but I also wanted to focus on um, Phenomenal Woman um, because what she does is re- she really celebrates womanhood in, in, all, in all of its glory. Because um, uh, you'll see in some feminist, quote unquote, feminist texts, yeah. They want to paint womanhood as, you know, really feminine and really like, oh, this is all glitz and glam. But mm. uh, Angelou do, does it in such a way that's so like real. She yeah. even brings in like, you know, the 
she talks about like the figure of a woman and just the grace of a woman. So even just the different aspects of womanhood that, you know, is not always talked about, you know what I mean? And so I I, I had to bring her in. Like, it was just like, no, I could not not bring her in. Um, But then also I I focused on some like nonfiction texts. Okay. So um, for example, some speeches that Angela Davis did. And so obviously there were speeches, but I looked at the written word of that. And just like, her as a woman existing um, within liberation movements at that time alone was a statement, you know, Mm -hmm. and for her to literally risk her life to say what she said, that is a woman that I'm like, claps to you, honestly claps to you. And also Mm. like, sorry, in as a panther, being Mm -hmm. so militant and challenging kind of, as you said, the the portrayal of women being so like flowery and feminine, which obviously you know, combat in, in all black, in the panther, right? The images I'm seeing in my head of, of um, Angela Davis are just mm-hmm. completely challenging what you've kind of argued that quote unquote feminists have argued that women should be like, or not even not feminist society has argued that mm-hmm. women should be like, um, yeah. You know, I love the fact that you use the word militant because mm. exactly that, like when you think of Angela Davis, you think of a no nonsense kind of woman, you yeah. know, and, the fact that she literally risked her life for the cause. And in just in terms of if you do like read her speeches, she's very bold in what she says. She's not yeah. like, dude, she's like, we need to, sorry. Yeah, everyone needs to we change. are doing. <laughs> we are doing this because Ali are problematic. So yeah. someone needs to change, you know? And so I love that, not because of the aggression, because I know sometimes in feminism, it's like, in order to be great, you have to be an aggressive woman, which I don't necessarily agree with because yeah. that's another discussion. But Especially when you I add just, the racial layer of yeah, it's just it's just a lot. No, <laughs> it's just that. a big no, a big yeah. no. You know what I mean? Um, but I what I really wanted to kind of explore with Angela Davis is just this the political stance she took, but also just different stances she took as a woman and proudly so. She was yeah. unapologetic, unapologetically a woman, unapologetically black, and so I really wanted to explore that in depth. Yeah. That went deeper than oh, she was a black woman, therefore it was political. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I wanted I to really look at her as a woman, but also as a person living in that time and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, with the black outlaw woman, I wanted to kind of theorise it as positive, like this yeah. is a great thing to do. And it's Definitely. not necessarily disruptive as a way of harming someone else, mm-hmm. but it's a way of harming the status quo mm, and stereotypes and challenging that. Yeah. And challenging What's that exactly. wrong in society to make it? better absolutely exactly i've said it before um but when we think about black liberation we don't think about women enough um black women have been erased from these narratives i think black people overall have been erased from you know british history when they're in that context or american history in that context women are erased and the fact that you've brought to light so many exceptional black women black outlaw women that are going against the grain as you said um yeah i just feel like it just is just so like wonderful um that you've kind of done that work and that research and i am sure that it was like you know when you write something and it kind of feeds you yeah you're you're giving to this page yeah giving to this work but you're also being fed i feel like i did my um master dissertation on on caribbean women and i Mm -hmm. felt exactly that way of like i was being fed as well as yeah. giving a little bit of myself as a black woman kind of in yeah. my work since we're here um and i'm curious i kind of want to know about the music 
I want to know. Give me, uh, give me like, I don't know, one or two of your favourite musical people, concepts, albums, songs that you referenced and how they fit. I had to bring in Nina Simone. Like, yeah. absolute icon. In everything. In music, in songwriting, in, as a woman. Yeah. She was bold. She was a no-nonsense kind of woman, yeah. you know? And so a child prodigy growing up, obviously in segregated racist America challenging the grain as a child prodigy a black child prodigy being able to play classical music which which was something that it was a shock for a black person to be able to do just the depth and and, uh, the meaning behind her lyrics yeah I'm just like wow and for me it was just incredible to be able to research even more about her and just know more about her yeah um and then the other two women i spoke about was solange knowles and i talked yes. about um janelle monet the reason why i talked about solange is um in particular one of the songs i mentioned was don't touch my hair mm. you know yeah. and just in i i kind of wanted to paint a a picture literary wise as just a woman who was making a political statement, not yeah. in an aggressive way, but in a, this is my stance, mm-hmm. accept it. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> like, because, you know, as a black woman, it resonated with me, you know, don't touch yeah. my hair because, you know, wear your hair and Afro, go to work and you have like switch up styles. Like, these are things that we as women think about, like, are they going to comment on my hair? Are they going to comment on my hair? Are they yeah. going to ask if my hair is real? That kind of thing. And so she, she really brought to light um just that kind of conversation and that dialogue yeah black women black women tend to either yeah. are used to or accustomed to mm-hmm. or have to endure you know so yeah. I had to bring her in um but also I wanted to talk about Janelle Monet because in her music career she's kind of I don't want to like paint them as two but for no better kind of parallel and analogy yeah she's like the Octavia Butler in music mm, why absolutely. do I say that because she's you know, especially earlier on in her career as well, she created a whole new world. Yeah. <laughs> literally. Literally like, a whole new world. <laughs> for Cindy so, Mayweather to live in. <laughs> literally. So yeah. analysing Janelle Monet as Janelle Monet and Janelle Monet as Cindy, like, it was yeah. just like, I, I had to talk about this. And just in, in her songs, there's always messages behind that and yeah. always just about liberating the woman. So I just thought that was obvious choice to talk about when it comes to outlaw because some outlaw women, it's like, I'm going against the grain in my world. Yeah. Other outlaw women, it's like, I'm not even going to acknowledge this world. I'm just going to create my own. Yeah. You know, and so I really wanted to, yeah, Definitely. play with that. Yeah, there's complexities. I love that, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> You were blessed. <laughs> you blessed yourself with that topic and question. We and thank God. Analysis. We thank God. <laughs> Honestly, to be quite honest, you've really given us so much food for thought and so much knowledge. Like there wasn't a perf- more perfect person to get on this episode to talk about mm. these things and the range because we went from <laughs> Solange. We had the Bible, we've had self-help books, we've had Ralph Ellison, we've had Shakespeare, we've had Joseph Conrad, we've had, you know, we've, we've been there, we've been here, there and everywhere. Um, so I just want to say thank you firstly so, so much. Uh, thank also, you, thank you. We have to tell the viewers, disclaimer for all the people in the audience, <laughs> we have recorded this episode already. This is our second time. <laughs> I was trying so hard to not like ask, ask questions that of things we've already spoken about in the last episode i would say this episode is going to be a million times better um the first one was great but it will only live in our memories because there is no record literally i went to edit the episodes and the files just didn't exist so we had to re-record um and it's kind of an 11th hour 
we're going to get this podcast out regardless. So I'm just extra grateful because Arisha didn't just record once, she recorded twice. We're here again. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> thank you so much. Um, just before you go, please tell us where we can find you social media wise um, and the Reader's Collection because I know that if people haven't already found you, they're going to be thinking, yeah, drop the socials. What's the app? <laughs> tell us. So, so my personal, you might as well, arisha.nia, other page, the Reader's Collection, it's at the Reader's Collection. So all lowercase, no spaces, no dots, nothing, just <laughs> no at dots. the Reader's no Collection. I've made it easy for you guys. Literally. There we go. So yeah. at arisha.nia <laughs> and then at the Reader's Collection, if you would like to just know more about books and reading and if you're listening and you're like i'm listening to a podcast because i don't read there's a reason i don't read and i know some of you have said that to me you're like i really like your podcast because i don't read um i'm not here to force you to read because you all have different reasons for not not wanting to read but i would Mm -hmm. say i would urge you i would encourage you very gently to go and look at that page (laughs) because if I wasn't a reader, that page would make me want to be a reader. And the fact that I am a reader, that page makes me want to be a better reader, um, <laughs> a more efficient reader, a more effective reader. Um, yeah, so I am so grateful, Arisha, for you well, being on the podcast today. Thank you for all your knowledge, all your gems, all your wisdom. Um, if you thank have any you. more questions, you know, you can always ask Arisha, you have her socials, or you can leave them yes. in the comments um, on our post on Instagram um a reminder if you don't follow us on instagram you won't know this but episodes are now on youtube we are uploading like the back catalog so we're going to start from episode one and two on four a week so two on a tuesday and two on a saturday until i hope we get to like the end of march and then we're up to date with the back catalog and then we'll start uploading with the episode that we record for a monday um because yeah i just felt like youtube is a little bit more accessible for some people i know people that don't have spotify that have been like oh i really want to listen um and so they can do that now um maybe it'll be more shareable um and it will make its rounds around the internet a little bit more which i hope it will do so please subscribe to the channel like the videos watch them on there listen on spotify apple google it's up to you um follow us on we're on linkedin we're on twitter we're on instagram um and yeah have a wonderful day and thank you all for tuning in to this kind of little mini series on african-american history and today literature thank you so much and thank you Arisha. pleasure bye bye everyone bye